Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela. I'm riding solo today. Jen has some work stuff going on, but I am here with a friend. Her name is Misty, and I found Misty by accident because I am a true crime lover through and through. You guys know this. And that's how I found Misty. I had no idea she was a reseller. And like, then I loved her even more. And I had to have her on this podcast. So I can't wait for you guys to get to know her, learn about her business, because she's got lots of different businesses going on, lots of things. And, uh, you know, give her a follow over on her page. So we are going to jump right into this interview. We will see you at the table. Hi, Misty. Welcome to Thrifters Villa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm excited because I can't wait to learn more about you and how you got into all this and all of your businesses because I watch what you do on your stories and it's impressive to me. Never mind the true crime stuff. I, I That's just a given that I'm going to love that. But <laughs> um, other people who are listening might not know who you are. So why don't you give everyone a little backstory of who you are, how you get into reselling, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Okay. Um, well, I'm Misty and I'm from Virginia. I have been here my whole entire life. Um, I kind of stumbled into reselling selling I feel like like a lot of people have before that um I was in the restaurant industry for 20 years um started very very young so I've been self-employed for most of my life um sometime in the middle to end of the restaurant um experience I went back to school and finished my nursing degree and worked a while as a nurse until COVID happened and then I kind of took a backseat, just wasn't, nursing wasn't what I wanted it to be anymore. And at the Mm -hmm. time I was caring for my mother-in-law who had Alzheimer's, Abuela, and just really worried about the exposure and maybe um, putting her at risk if I were to continue at that time. So I stayed home um, pretty much full-time to help care for her. And we were still running our restaurant at that time. And um, yeah, then I just started I had started reselling before that, just very minorly. Um, Actually, a friend of mine who was my employee at the restaurant, she um, had since went on and done other things. And I saw on Instagram, she was thrifting and selling things. And so then I saw her in person once and mentioned it. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's so much fun. And then it kind of, I just left it there. And then I stumbled across it again on Instagram and I was like, what is this? And I looked into it and I was like, wow, really? People are going to thrift stores and finding things. And I grew up in thrift stores. I mean, I grew up very, very, very poor. And so that's where I, that's where I got all of my school clothing and my mom and I would go. And so it was just, I just never thought about getting an item and reselling it. And there were so many things I didn't know that I thought I knew about brands. And so it's just been such an experience to kind of dive into that world a little bit. And um, yeah, I started my very first sale that kind of like tricked me into this whole business was a vintage pastel like it looked like a a sweater that I wore in like fifth grade. It had (laughs) um, cats on it. And at the time it was very trendy and I bought it for like a dollar 79 and sold it for $90. That was my very first flip ever. And so I was like, okay, I'm sold. I was going (laughs) to say I'd be hooked after that too. That's insane. So that got me and I sold it actually on Mercari. Mercari was my very first sale. Wow. Wow. So you started on Macari. So do you still sell a Macari? Because I know you're a Poshmark girl. I do. So I had at the time before I really got into it, got into it. I did a lot of just like a lot of us do a lot of YouTube watching, a lot of mm-hmm. Instagram following. And I'm the type of person, you know, with my true crime that I thoroughly research something. And so that's kind of what I was doing. And so I was actually on all three platforms at once in the beginning. 
Wow. You dove right in. I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. I I love hearing how people get into reselling because it's so different for each person. And I mean, perfect example, it's so easy to get hooked on it because as soon as you had that big flip, no matter how big the flip is, you're like, oh, wait, I can make some good money doing this. So you had mentioned that learning the brands is kind of, you know, you've been doing that along the way. So what did that process look like for you from beginning to like where you are now? Because I'm a lot of our listeners go through the same thing where it's like, well, I don't know what to get. Or like, I thought Calvin Klein was a big deal because that's what we saw in the department stores. But then you go try selling it yourself and you're like, oh, wait, this is not what I thought. Right. Yeah. So it's still ever-changing. Even now I've been reselling for four years and brands still change and they come and go. And that's just part of knowing the market. And that is in any business, you have to know your market. And so brands in reselling is huge. Um, At first, you know, I grew up, like I said, wearing thrift store clothing. So I did not know anything about brands. I mean, I did not even know what anthropology was when I first started reselling. And that's just one of the basic ones. And so when I learned about anthropology and then all of the subcategories under that, I was like, wow, this is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I just kind of somehow in my brain made a folder for brands. Mm -hmm. And when I would go out, I would look for certain things. I didn't try to remember all of them because then I felt like I would be super overwhelmed, but I started finding things here and there. And I I took the advice of all of the resellers that I was watching and learning from, and I would look up the item. I would try to do what's a comp search. Sometimes I would not do a comp search and just be like, oh, this is, it says free people. So it must be good. That's not always the case. (laughs) (laughs) So I learned the hard way with that. I'm still learning the hard way sometimes with that because just because the item is you know, a certain brand that you've heard doesn't mean it's going to resell for what you think it will. Yeah. I mean, I think we all still struggle with that sometimes. And there's moments where you pick up a brand that you know should sell for whatever dollar amount. And it's a year later and it's still sitting and you don't understand why it's still sitting. And then you have to make that decision of, okay, do I just accept that offer that came in that's 50% lower than what I anticipated getting. And I think those are conversations that we all have with ourselves at some point as resellers. And then we kind of reevaluate like, okay, well, is it worth it for me to pick up this brand the next time I see it? Or is it maybe just that category that I have didn't work? Like there's a lot of learning that always goes on in in reselling. And I feel like, I mean, I'm almost six years in, you're four years in, I'm always learning something every single day. I don't think it matters how long you've been doing it. The when it comes to business and you can attest to this as well, things are always changing in business. The market is changing. The economy is changing. People's buying behaviors are changing. So you kind of have to roll with that. And what may be sold for $50 last year is only selling for 25 this year, but that might change two years down the route down the road because people are looking for it again. It's such like a interesting place to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, I think that I do okay with, you know, um, as far as like buying and knowing what to buy, because I'm such like, I love to research things. I just love learning. And so I think that's an added bonus for me personally, just because I'm always trying to learn, okay, maybe this, you know, when Madewell was really big and we were all picking up Madewell, I knew quickly once once you hear so many um, resellers with a larger following, you know, naming a brand, typically that's when it's going to become oversaturated mm-hmm. soon. So I, you know, Madewell was big, big, and I was picking it up. And then once I heard everyone else talking about it, I was like, eh, this is going to become saturated quickly. And it did. And so it's just knowing, you know, it's kind of like common sense marketing. Like if there's a lot of an item on the market, it's, just leave it. Just leave it. I don't care how cute it is. Just leave it. And I'm telling myself this. <laughs> <laughs> Daily internal struggles of a reseller. It happens yeah. all the time. Or like it's those 
for example, the other day I'm at the thrift store and there's these Tory Burch loafers. They had like a cute little platform. They had some scuffs on them, but like I could totally get them out and like refinish them with some with leather paint. And I was going to grab them, but I know the style is older and I know it probably would sit for a long time. It would take a very specific buyer. And Tory Burch is like one of those brands that can go either way, either sells really well or it sits for a long time. That's just how Tory Burch works. And they were priced at $15.99, which was like my deciding factor to leave them because $15.99 is a bigger investment on a brand that's probably going to sit. And it's an older style that needs me to do some repair work. But it was hard for me to do that. Like, it takes a lot of willpower to put those back on the shelf and not buy them. It does. It definitely does. And I have just gotten to the point, I used to be guilty of that also. Like, if it needed work, I was like, oh, I'll do this. I now... I've left behind like really nice things just because I I know I'm not going to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to clean it. I'm not going to, you know, sew it for sure. Cause I'm not a person that can sew. So I'm just like, and, and even like sw- something as simple as sweater shaving, I just don't have the time that those things need to put in to be able to do it. So I'm just like, just leave it behind. Somebody else can do it and fix it. Yeah. So I know that you you purchase items to sell, but you also do consignment. And I think this is an area that we've started to cover a lot in the podcast too. We had um, consignment chats come on, the ladies of consignment chats, and they they focus on consignment. And I think it's such an interesting concept. And it's something that I think many people are afraid to dabble into because there's logistics involved with it, right? Tracking the inventory, having some type of agreement, all of these things that I think deter a lot of people from stepping out into that framework. Um, What made you get into consignment? And then we'll go from there. Okay, sure. So I, again, by accident, stumbled onto onto consignment. I had a mutual friend on Facebook who had just posted as her status, like, does anyone know of a consignment place that takes a large quantity of in and out of season clothing because she was looking to offset a lot of her clothing from her personal closet. And I saw all of these comments of local consignment shop people recommending local consignment shops and she was replying back saying they won't take this much or I just want to go somewhere and drop it off she didn't want the headache of having to take a bunch of it back and so on and so forth so I just messaged her privately and said you know I do resell clothing online I'd be happy to take a look at your things if you would like to consign with me I would be happy to start that and by that evening I had a truckload of her clothing in my garage and it was all really good items. Um, I just really hit the lottery with her. And then just by word of mouth, she recommended me to all of her friends and then her friends recommended me to their friends. And so one person has now turned into, I believe I have 32 clients. Wow. That's a lot. It is. Yes. And it's just been like, I have done very, I I think one time I posted on my Facebook, like a flyer that I had made and that's it. And I don't even think I maybe got one person from that flyer, but everything else has truly been word of mouth. And I would just say to anyone, like, don't overthink it. I, I wing everything in life. And that's exactly how I did this consignment. I was like, okay, you know, I'll give you this percentage. I had no idea what consignment shops were giving. I had no idea what, you know, anything. I was just like, let me try this out and see how it works. And luckily it worked out, but I know there is a need for it in most areas because in my, I have, I live in a small town and the lady um, who brought me her thing, she was like, my friend actually packs her things up and sends them to a lady in Atlanta who consigns for her. And I'm like, she's, she's paying to ship these items. That can't be cheap. (laughs) Right. And so I'm like, no, no, no. And so she sent me her. And again, she, she has like, you know, basic like Lululemon and, um, mall brands like Tory Burch, Kate Spade, stuff like that. And I mean, all stuff that, in my small town, I'm not really finding a lot of those things. And so the consignment piece of my business has really helped me not only learn new brands, but 
find things and have access to things that I normally wouldn't. I would have to probably go out of town to find. So it's it's been nice. That's wonderful. And to have 32 consigners, like that's crazy. How do you keep track of all that? We'll get into all the other businesses that Misty has because reselling is just a very small part of, 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 your, <laughs> of your life. Uh, I mean, it's a big part, but it is one sliver of Misty's life. And uh, how do you track and how do you keep up with all of that? And and uh, if you don't mind sharing, like what the commission structure looks like, all of that. Sure. So I get this question a lot in my Instagram <laughs> DMs. Everyone wants to know like what my contract looks like and yeah. what um, percentage I give out. And I started out really naively. I did not know what to expect. So my very first client, I started 50-50. And I quickly learned while that worked for me, I still made money. I mean, because I'm getting essentially free inventory. Um, But I did find out that, you know, that's just not going to work because of platform fees and my time and all of that. So um, I eventually, each client is a little bit different. It depends on the quantity that they bring me. And um, I have some clients that every month they bring me two to three bags of nice things. And so I do pay them out a little bit higher just because they are repeat clients. And then I have some clients that um, come once every six months and they bring me, you know, like a bag or a bag and a half or something like that. And so it's just different. I think I'm averaging when I looked at my numbers last time at a 38% payout. Okay. Um, so yeah, not bad now. Um, there are some clients that I'm still doing a 50 50 with but those are my like really good another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Returning clients with nice brands. Um, and I'm okay with that because they have brought me a lot of other clients. Right. And they're they're exposing, their items are helping to expose your closet to different customers that you may not exactly. necessarily have had with the items that you would just find in your thrift store. And I think that's probably one of the most exciting things with consignment and and kind of dabbling in there is especially if you tell your um the people who are thinking about consigning with you hey these are the kind of items i'm looking for like don't be afraid to say that to them like these are the items that i'm willing to take and these are the items that i i just can't like it's just not worth the time and the payout and all of that um mm-hmm. but those items that are of maybe a higher value that you don't find in your area that people have like that introduces totally new people to come into your your Poshmark store your eBay store whatever it is I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, but it has taught me so many brands that I did not even, um, I just won off the top of my head, the really expensive um, pajama brand. Is it Lunia or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what that was. And a client of mine brought me like four pajama sets. And I was like, these are the softest pajamas. And three of them were brand new. She said you she know how much those retail for, for, right? That's insane. She bought she brought me one and then she was like, ah, I'm not sure how this will do. They are really expensive. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll try. And I felt them. I was like, whatever this is, it is nice because the material is so nice. And so I looked it up and I was like, wow. <laughs> and then so I texted her and I was like, these are going to do really well. And they sold within like hours of listing them. And she was like, okay, well, I have three more pair that are brand new. I, d- I just don't want them. Oh my God. Who are you? I need your life. Oh my God. I can imagine <laughs> right? because some of those pajama sets are like $400. And she does not, it just doesn't surprise me with this client. She is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's just crazy. But it's true that that brand in particular will sell in a day. Like that is without a doubt, you will sell that brand in a day. There is such a high demand for it. And the um, resale value is pretty comparable to the retail value on certain pieces. So that's amazing. But it is true. You learn about so many brands 
that you would have never come in contact with unless you're doing a ton of research online and looking up at these new brands that are coming out. And I do that because I enjoy it. I like research just like you. But man, it's time consuming sometimes to like sit there and like, okay, here's another new brand and here's another new brand. And then you go on to a website like Revolve and it's like an endless door. It just keeps going of all these brands and I can't keep up. There's new things, new collaborations every day. And um, yeah, so that that's great. That is a wonderful story. <laughs> I am jealous. <laughs> uh, and then she she sent me her husband things and she would drop them off in oh. like um, suitcases and I, that has really taught me like men's brands that, that I have never heard of. I mean, they, they both are like big motorcycle people oh, okay. also. And so I learned a lot with like, I didn't even know because I've never ridden a motorcycle in my life, but there's special genes for riding motorcycles, which makes sense. This, if you fall off, then you're right, protected, right, right. <laughs> but there are really expensive brands of motorcycle jeans. I mean, I've probably sold like five or six of his jeans for like 150 to $200 a piece, what? just motorcycle jeans. So if you guys ever come across motorcycle jeans, <laughs> what do they them a look or look? feel like, I guess? Cause I'm assuming so they're, they're thicker. thicker. Yes. Okay. They look like regular jeans. They're just a lot thicker. And then I think like just the brands off the top of my head, there's one called, um, G star and, um, one called raw okay just r-a-w and then there's another one it's not I don't have it at the top of my head right now but yeah just learning those men's brands that I I rarely go through the men's section to be honest just because I don't have time so yeah that's been also a nice aspect that's great I I never look at men's ever it is like not in I just I look at sweaters sometimes I'll look at the jeans, like the beginning portion of jeans. Sometimes they put women's jeans in the men's section, but like once I get to 32, 34, I'm out. Like I'm not, I'm not looking at anything else. Um, okay. So, um, what, at what point did you take reselling to like that next step? Because you're not, are you still in the restaurant business? No, not in the restaurant business at all. So at what point were you like, okay, I'm going to, I, this is going to be my, my full-time we'll say gig right now. Mm -hmm. So probably we sold our restaurant Jan. So this January was a year. So January of what is this year? 2023. Yeah. So we sold in January (laughs) of 22. Yeah. (laughs) Everything's a blur. I get it. Everything since 2020. I don't know what day or time it is. Same. Um, so yeah, so over a little over a year, um, I would say I started taking it more seriously once I left nursing and um, was at home a little more during COVID. Um, so I started in 2018. Um, my mom actually passed away and I was just kind of like looking for something that brought me joy. And mm. so I stumbled across reselling and then I again, just being in the thrift store, like brought back those memories and, um, yeah, it just kind of, I don't know. I feel like the universe played it out just right for me, for me to stumble onto it. And it just really brings me, um, as you know, and as you've said, I've done a lot of different things in my life and reselling truly brings me joy. And, um, even when I'm working a lot, I still don't feel like I'm working. It's, it's, crazy the way that when you like what you do, it just really makes sense. And yeah, reselling is that for me. I just, I just really enjoy it. I can relate to the losing a parent because I lost my dad in 2018. And that's when I really like, I always sold things, but like it was for myself. Like I would sell a purse on Craigslist so I could get money to buy a new purse or like, you know, like it was just silly things like that or for textbooks. Um, But in 2018, it was like I had that void of I didn't have anything to do, right? My time wasn't contained to helping to take care of my dad anymore and driving him back and forth to treatments and all that kind of stuff. And I was dabbling into reselling, but it, I wasn't like really in it. So I started doing very similar things where it was like, okay, well, I'm just going to dive into this. It's going to give me something to do. And and I really enjoyed it. And I kind of, you know, while I do work a, a job outside the home, it's always been that like little side project that makes me really happy. That doesn't feel like work. And I think that's so important when it comes to reselling. I feel like 
I, I'm a firm believer that if reselling starts to feel like work, you need to take a step back and reassess what's happening because you went into it loving it and it being this like, I don't know, passion, passion project maybe. And um, once it starts to lose that appeal, there's something that's happening internally that you need to figure out and and take a look at the business and see what what's going on with that. And that happened to me over the last couple of years because life's been crazy for everyone. It's not I'm not the only one that's had a crazy life the last three to four years. We all have. And um, and I and I've taken step back. So when I take that step back and I really analyze like what's happening and what I need to shift and what I need to focus on, that passion and love comes back into reselling. And I just think, like, I never want that to go away when it comes to reselling. Yeah, same. You just never want it to dwindle. And I understand the people that are, you know, doing this for, you know, they, they need to make right. an, an additional income and, and that happens. Um, and if that's the case, you know, you just, when you feel burnt out, you don't really have the choice, but to, to keep going because that is essentially an income mm -hmm. for you. And I get that, that it's a privilege for me to be able to do it, you know, as I kind of want to. Um, but even, even when I'm in the depths of it and I'm like, oh, I have like three consignment drop-offs and I really do try to prioritize my clients and make sure right. that their things get listed quickly. Um, so even when I'm in that, I'm like, okay, this is fun. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've alluded to it. But you have, besides reselling, which you have said, you just said, you know, you do it, you love it, you do it, but there's other ways that you create income for yourself. And I think as resellers, we're always looking new ways to make money. What else can I get into to hustle and make more money? I hate the word hustle, but that's really what it ends up being. Um, so you have rental properties that you manage. How did you fall into that? So that also, um, we started, I want to say a, around 15 years ago. So like I've told you, I grew up very, very poor. Um, my husband and I met, I was in high school and he had just moved to this country as an immigrant. And again, I believe it was fate that we met. And I actually was a very, very young mom. I was a uh, freshman in college when I got pregnant with my daughter and it was a whirlwind of, okay, we either fall back into the cycle of poverty, right. like it can happen, or we change the trajectory of our life and of our children's lives. And um, that's when we bought the first restaurant. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, we just took it by the horns and went with it. And then using those restaurant earnings, we um, invested into real estate. And that was probably the smartest thing that we have done thus far. Um, and that was right around when 2008 was um, happening. So we were able to take advantage of the market with, you know, the housing being as cheap as it was and, you know, gathering interest rates for what they were and just started investing very you know, a property here, a property there, and just kept those as rentals. And we continued to be in the restaurant business for many, many years after that. And then just each year we would try to add another property to our portfolio. And it just, it just grew slowly. How many properties do you guys manage right now? 74. Wow. I did not anticipate that number. <laughs> what? Yes. Are they all houses? It's a mixture. So when we sold our restaurant, um, we, our CPA and our attorney advised us to invest the money into something, into an investment property so that we would pay. Um, there's a whole part in taxes. Capital gains, guys, capital gains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, um, we did an exchange essentially where we sold one business and bought another one to prevent yeah. paying an enormous amount of taxes. And so that's when we really added on, um, for, we added 45 units, um, apartment complex. Okay. Um, and so before that we had, um, we slowly built like 20 to 30 properties and then we added on these apartments. And now do you have employees? I'm assuming. We don't. Oh it's my God. My wow. 
that's so impressive. And and for him to like, what an American dream to be able to come here. And then as an immigrant, I come from immigrant family, so I get it. And then build, build your life and build the business and build what you want out of it. That's amazing. So he manages all the properties. God bless him. That's a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He does like all of the, um, so most of our tenants think that he's just the maintenance guy. It's hilarious. <laughs> they have no idea that he owns it. They have, they have no idea. And they'll actually call me and be like, you know, your little, your little Hispanic maintenance guy was here and fixed my, <laughs> oh my I'm like, God. <laughs> I'm like, he's, he's the owner. And they're like, wow, really? He doesn't want me. He's like, just don't tell them. Just let them think I'm the maintenance guy. They'll leave me alone. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, and then I, I do all of the answering emails and phone calls and all the paperwork back yeah. end of um just having tenants in general. I would assume that takes up a lot of your time. It does, but it doesn't. So there's days where I'm like, I all day I'm working on that. And then there's days where I don't have one call. So it's, mm. it's not as bad. I know a lot of people, um, when I tell them that they're like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? And I'm like, it's really not, it could be worse. It could be worse. I do have I, a couple tenants that, that I think they just like to call me to talk to me. They don't really have anything else better to do. But other than that, you know, we try to take really good care of our tenants where, you know, a lot of landlords get a bad rep, I feel like, because one bad one can make it worse for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, you know, we rarely have to evict anyone. We try to work with people, you know, if they're going to be late on rent, we just say, just let us know. And um, as long as there's an open line of communication, then we're good with that. So yeah, we try to, we try to keep it as simple as possible. And I feel like that really helps even on our end. Yeah. And I feel like you're the type of person to have really good systems in place. And I know you've talked about this on your Instagram as well. Misty has two Instagram accounts, one that's for reselling and life, basically, and the other one that's dedicated to true crime. And on her reselling one, she posts very frequently about, you know, bookkeeping and keeping record of things and having these systems in place, whether it's for reselling or anything else, really, any type of business that you're doing, it's so important to have some type of system in place so that you're able to do all the things you need to do to manage them. And I think that gets lost a little bit in our reselling community. I feel like people, and I understand why I want to preface with, I understand why people are scared of it. And I understand why it gets like fallen off to the wayside because it's so fun to source and list and find all these amazing brands that that back-end stuff from reselling is just not focused on in the same way as when you own property. You have to focus on that back-end stuff because it is critical to your business to thrive. You need to have that stuff. So it's interesting and you see both sides of it. So I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I cannot stress how important it is from the very first day that you start reselling to have some kind of system in place for inventory and some kind of system in place to keep track of your numbers. Because if you do not know your numbers in any business, that's very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just good to always revisit those at least once a month when I'm doing my bookkeeping for the properties and for my reselling, I'm always looking at my numbers Okay, am I making money? Because it, it can seem like you're making money, but if your bank account's not going up, then <laughs> there's a reason why that's not happening. You're probably spending too much or you have, you know, you're paying too many subscriptions for something. So just to have a system in place from the beginning and to keep yourself organized. And I know I have friends that do this that struggle with that just because they already struggle in life in general with you know, their attention span on to one thing. And then yeah. needless to say, you have to sit down and look at a spreadsheet. It's like, no way, no, thank you. But I promise it's so, so important in business to, I, if I'm not organized, I, my whole day is messed up, but I am also a very type A person where it has to be organized. My husband is definitely not like that. So I, one of us has to stay on track and just having the system in place. Okay. Um, cause imagine like reselling can compare to, um, being a landlord in the fact that, you know, if, if I don't have a system in place to know who has paid me rent, then 
if they don't pay, I'm never going to know. Same thing with your reselling. If you have an item where you can't remember how much you paid for it and then you sell it or you, you, you have it and then you don't know where it's at to be able to ship it, then in one way or another, you're losing money because you haven't kept up with it in the beginning. I know for me, when it comes to reselling, I definitely take into account my time, time that I'm spending on sourcing, time that I'm spending on listing, whatever it is, I always account time into everything. Because if you work a traditional job, time is always accounted for when it comes to making that money. So I I feel like there's there's this disconnect sometimes that exists in our community where because we love what we're doing, because we love the thrill, the hunt, because we love to be in front of the camera and talking to our other reseller friends or selling things online, whether it's live, however that works for you, we forget that the time that we put into it should also be um, incorporated within how much money you make. I think it's, I think sales are great, but I think if you don't understand the sales that are coming in, if you don't understand the time you're putting into it, you may be in the negative every single month, even though there's money in your account and you don't even realize that. And I think that's, it's powerful to understand. And maybe it's because I am very business minded and I worked in retail for so long and I, you know, I work at, you know, a, a traditional job outside the home and I had a dad who owned his own business my entire life. So maybe because I grew up in that type of atmosphere, I understand it, but I feel like there's like, I don't want to say lack of knowledge, but maybe um, people just don't understand the importance of it as much as they should. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Absolutely. And that is something that is so, so important. If you don't remember anything else in business, remember that your time is priceless and it has to be counted in some, in some sort of fashion. Even if you're thoroughly enjoying what you're doing at the end of the day, if you are putting money into, even if it's a hobby or a business, you know, you have to make sure that your time is the most important part. The older I get, the more I do realize that because mm -hmm. I remember, you know, when I was working as a nurse and I, the whole entire day, I would be sitting there like I could be getting this done, this done, and this done. And while nursing I did is kind of like a passion also because I enjoyed the patient care aspect yeah. of it. The pay was not there for me in yeah. my area to be able to, um, keep doing it and know that, okay, I have at home, I have 12 leases that I need to get ready. And I, at the time we had a restaurant, I have, you know, four interviews this evening. So just knowing where to put my time and where it was going to be the most paid off was very, very important for me to gradually learn over time. Because again, you just, you're not going to get the hours back in the day and you want to make sure that you're using them as wisely as you can. And I think even when it comes to being a volume seller, which with consignment sometimes can become a volume game um, over a quantity game, people that do volume can still account for their time and do it in a way that still makes sense where you're making money. I understand that like this is this is people's like this is what they need to pay their mortgage. I totally understand that aspect of it and that going to the bins is what they have to do. I respect you for doing that. But I think there's ways to do it so that it makes sense and you don't feel burnt out and that you feel like you're actually giving yourself a paycheck that you deserve. Like that, there's just something so powerful about that, especially when you own your own business. You deserve that paycheck. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like I am a volume seller. I know I follow people on all different um, business models and I always tell people, especially I get a lot of new resellers that ask me questions and I try to help as much as I can, but there's only so much advice you can give someone that doesn't have the same business model as yep. you, because you always have to remember 
you know, reselling can be done in so many different ways Mm -hmm. and you can still make money. I, I do, I list, you know, some people are like, how do you list that much? And I'm like, at this point, it's like, it's like memory, my, my, it's like muscle memory. Mm -hmm. My fingers know exactly what to click in eBay to do a listing in seconds. And then cross listing takes, you know, a few minutes, but, um, I definitely for my cost of good and what I'm able to find in my area, I have to be a volume seller. Um, and I'm just, I could online source and I could, I, you know, I have the capital that I could put into, you know, maybe luxury items or something else. It's just not, I just have no desire to do that. And Mm. so you just have to know what you want and what works for you. And, you know, I'm used to working a lot. And so I feel like when I do put in, you know, six or seven hours into reselling, and then I go and I, you know, put in another four with our properties, that's just a normal day for me. So I don't feel, you know, some people that, that especially I don't have little kids. There are a lot of resellers that have little kids and it's like, I don't know how they do it. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, it's like you you just have to know what you're able to do physically and where what you have in your area and then build a business around that. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of small town ta- small town resellers who do do the online arbitra- arbitrage or you know they source on the real real and they're selling designer and that's great. It's just not that doesn't interest me. And so I just stick to what I've been doing and it's been working for me just great. Right. And I think this is a perfect segue to go into the famous topic that is just all over the community all the time. And that's live selling. And we're seeing it other places too. It's not just in the community. Live selling is being talked about everywhere. And um, I think one of the, the biggest points you brought up is what's worth your time and what are you really interested in doing? So I'm curious, um, what are your thoughts on live selling? And do you see that fitting into your business model that you have today? Yeah. So I, when live selling first became, you know, this big thing, I immediately said, absolutely not. I have no interest. (laughs) And then over the time, I am more open to at least trying it. Now I can say that it probably will not be a big part of my business just because I don't have the time that live selling requires to do it. Um, And I already have I already have a system down. I already have a pattern. I already have my mojo going with listing and to add in something new that is time that is going to take time. I just feel like I just don't have the time for it at this time. However, I do want to give it a try and do one or two and see if I like it and see if it would be something I would be interested in doing in the future. Um, My cost of good is low enough that I think I would be okay with it. Um, However, Again, just learning something new, which typically I do like to do. But in this case, I'm just like, eh, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I, I, I see the sellers that are selling live and, you know, how hard they're working and then how much they have to ship out. And I'm just like, I don't know if I really want to do that Mm. (laughs) because it just looks like a lot of work. Um, And I, I, the people that I've talked to either love it or they hate it. There's like, I haven't talked to anyone that's like in between. So, I mean, in business in general, I've always been the type of person to try something once. And if I like it, great. And if I don't, then I can say I've tried it and I move on. Yeah. I think there's like this, I personally can't watch a live sale. Like it doesn't keep my attention. I don't work that way. Like I have a hard time sitting and watching a show or a movie. Never mind watching a live sale. Like you're never going to keep my attention. It's not going to happen. Like a movie can't keep my attention. I need to like constantly be up and doing things. Um, So I never bought into live sales because I personally don't enjoy them. So there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect is, I don't know if I want to spend so much time, like you said, doing all this. I don't know if my, I don't know if I want that in my business. The learning something new, I feel like I could wing it, right? I have a podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I I could do it. Like that, talking to people doesn't scare me. You talk to people all the time. Like that part of it isn't scary to me. Like I have no problem getting in front of a camera like that. Hi, here I am. But it's the other stuff. 
the like loading the show and finding enough items and making sure my cost of goods make sense and how much time am I going to spend on this? I'm going to have to have a cutoff time because there's no way I'm going on for two or three hours. Like that is not happening. There's just so many of those factors that hold me back from it. And then like, will I lose the joy of what I like doing and reselling? I don't want that to happen either. Yeah. And that's something you definitely have to think about. I think when, when it first started and it was uh whatnot, yeah. I, I downloaded the app. I got on, I was like, eh, I barely watched the same, same kind of thing for me. Like I have to be multitasking or I feel like I'm not productive for whatever strange reason. And so I'm usually listening to a podcast and working or listening to a YouTube and working. So watching a live sell where I have to like be looking at the item that's I'm not going to sit there long enough to see if there's anything in my size or if there's anything right. you're going to show that I like and so same kind of situation for me but when whatnot first started and people were like are you going to you know try it I was like no because that's another platform that I have to do bookkeeping on mm-hmm. like I'm already thinking about okay that's another 1099 that I'm going to have to file that's another platform that I'm going to have to make sure, yeah, that I have all my paperwork done and in line. So no. And then when it was added to Poshmark, I was like, okay, well, if I were to do any live selling, it would have to be on an app that I'm already using just for the paperwork side of it all Mm -hmm. at the very least. That, and it's so much easier on a Poshmark. And I don't know if whatnot has developed this or not yet, but like the inventory report and the way that you list items and the way that you can get your sales, like it, it would just be more streamlined if if we were to do it on Poshmark. Um, it's the same process, right? It's it's like me traditionally listing, except I did it on a live sale. Um, so yeah, I, those that's that's actually one of the biggest things that I thought about people that did whatnot and how they filed their taxes this year. I have no idea how they did it. Like I just more credit and more props to you because that would give me such anxiety because some people just like did things out of pallets. Well, how did you account for each thing? That's true. Yeah. I did see that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they're just, they, they have to be just be winging it. There's no way, <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, I was just, that was my whole reasoning like absolutely not I'm not adding another like I already sell in three platforms no thank you (laughs) yeah exactly I only do Poshmark and eBay well I do the real real but that's like only when they have special promotions where it makes sense for me to send things in so I did it last month because they were offering um for their VIP clients 70 percent plus an additional five percent of things sold over um $200. So for me, I was like, great, I'm going to offload some things that have been sitting that I just don't feel like selling on my own anymore. And it's worked out really great for me, but like it's Poshmark and really it's Poshmark. Like eBay's there and I like eBay and it's, and it's been better to me over the last year, but Poshmark is where the majority of my funds come from. And as much as this is my, my part-time fun little side hobby, I do rely on this money that I get. Like I have, when you start to accumulate extra money, you find ways to put it into your life, whether it's to pay things down or, or to, to buy something that you need or renovations, like whatever I need this money. So like, I have a set amount that I have to hit every month and Poshmark has always been that for me. Yeah. Yeah. eBay and Poshmark are like usually pretty tied for me, but lately eBay has been way better to me than Poshmark. I, I mean, I prefer to sell on Poshmark, honestly, just because it's easier. Yeah. Um, and then I I just feel like the client, the, the clientele, the, the, between eBay and Poshmark are just a whole set of different, like humans living on a different planet, but, (laughs) but, but eBay, I, I can't complain. It's been good to me. So eBay international buyers is what keeps me because the majority of my items are like that mid tier, not like not super luxury, but mid tier, but I I have luxury as well, but that's mostly where I sit in like the Kate Spade area, Tory Burch, like that kind of stuff to like the Revolve brands, some Gucci's, you know, like that's kind of where I am. And, um, eBay does well for that kind of stuff. Like they, the luxury pieces usually sell on eBay. They don't usually sell on Poshmark for me. Poshmark is like my Madewells, my Levi's, all that stuff sells on Poshmark. That's just how it works for me. Yeah. It's different for everyone, which is wild. It is. Yeah. The majority of my sales, honestly, I sell a lot of mature brands. So like cabbie 
habitat cut loose. Stuff you like do that. so and well with Cabby. I just want to throw this out there. You are the queen of Cabby. <laughs> I love Cabby so much. <laughs> and I have people every day, they're like, I picked this up and it won't sell. And I'm like, don't listen to me then because it sells for me. I don't know. It just things sell. And that's just another note for people that, especially people just starting what sells for one person will not sell for everyone. Mm. And you just have to really, honestly, your first year of reselling, you're just figuring out who your buyers are and mm. what you're going to, you can buy all the free people you want. It takes me forever to sell free people. Mm. And it's just, I still pick it up because I love it, but yeah. <laughs> it just, I, I'll sell a cabbie piece three times before I sell a free people. It just, it's crazy just how different reselling is for everyone. Yeah. And I think we ultimately build what our clientele, what our clientele book's going to look like based off of the items that we are able to get and, and able to list. And for whatever reason, this customer book develops on its own on, on in, in e-commerce and people just flock to you for those specific things and it works and like I can sell cabbie if I find it at a good price but my thrift stores mark up cabbie it, it's like they mark it up to $12 $15 sometimes I'm like I do, what are you doing <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> they do they mark all that stuff up wild so far our our thrift stores have been pretty consistent with there's just one goodwill in specific but there's just one like tops are 449 jeans are 799 so but recently now our goodwills I think are catching on to other ones and there's this special rack at the front of the store that has like all the special finds but it's like Anything new with tag, they think goes there. So they haven't really learned brands yet, which yeah. I'm glad, <laughs> but they'll have like, I don't know, just Walmart new with tag right, for right. the same price as it is on the tag. And I'm like, come on. So I'm glad they haven't figured that part out yet. I'm just waiting for them to figure out brands and then everything will start to go up. But so far it's been okay. Yeah. I'm in New England, so everything's expensive here, but it's becoming more and more expensive because they, they have gotten very smart in our thrift stores here. And we can thank 2020 for that because I think they did some heavy research on YouTube and they were just like learning all about what we were doing. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm hypothesizing. I have no idea if that's really what it is, but the prices have gone up significantly and it's really made sourcing... Um, I don't want to say difficult. It's just different than what it used to be pre-2020. Um, they know a lot of the brands that I would anticipate them knowing. Like they're starting to learn some of those Revolve brands. Maybe they have someone looking them up in the back. I don't know. Um, then there's other thrift stores that are privately owned around here. Like they're not a Savers. They're not. We only have one Goodwill in Rhode Island and the rest are um, Savers or Salvation Army. There's a couple like small independently owned ones, but really when I source, I typically go into Massachusetts or Connecticut because that's where I'm going to find just the better brands. Not that we don't have them here because we do, um, but I can find more of those better brands in Massachusetts and Connecticut. But I'm also going to pay more money because I'm going into cities to buy those pieces. So it's a very different experience sourcing here. So when I hear people from small towns talk about their sourcing, like, oh, tops are $3, $4. I'm like, yeah, tops are about $9.99 here. <laughs> like, it's just so different. And when you're buying to, you know, to resell, that's a, that's a big difference. And that's definitely yes. something to think about. And that just shows you that every business model has to be different for that reason. Mm -hmm. You know, if I were in that circumstance, then I probably would be having a business model kind of like yours where you're, yeah. you know, paying up for things, but you know that your return is going to be there. So, you know, I buy something for four or $5. I'm okay if it eventually sells for just $20 because mm -hmm. I've still at least doubled my money right. and I'm fine with that. And, and sometimes I think at Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Again, I, I talk about this in my stories a lot because I do have 
newer resellers, a lot of newer resellers for some reason lately follow me. And because you have a big following, they, (laughs) (laughs) but they, they're like, you know, how do you, you're only, you sold this for $20, you know, how, how's that even reasonable? And I'm just like, I'm still making money. Um, and I think that sometimes there's a misconception because they see other people selling things for 50 and $60 that if you're not doing that, then you're not successful or you're not profiting. And it, that's not the case. We would all love to buy items for $4 and sell them for 50 only yeah. like that would be great all day long, but that's not, that's not reasonable with reselling, especially depending on the brand you're picking up. So that's why I know just personally myself, I am a volume seller because yes, I am putting in more work probably. I I don't know if you'd say more, more, maybe more physical work, um, but I'm not online um, like some, like yourself or like some other people that are doing the online or even like luxury arbitrage where they're looking up. I'm not spending time doing that. I'm spending time mm-hmm. listing a little bit more and, and sourcing a little bit more and shipping a little bit more. So I think in the end, it all evens out yep. um, and I'm still making money and you don't have to sell things for the $50, $60 price mark if you're buying them low enough. And that's right. what I, try and I think to that's, there's a lot that goes into that. There's like, it's like a whole episode on its own. Where mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter what the item sold for. You have no idea what that person paid for the item. So something might have sold for $200, but that person paid $125 for it, thinking that they would sell it for more, but they only sold it for $200. Now you got to take away 20%, right, for your for all the fees. And now you got to take taxes out of that as well. You can't forget about that. And now you take away time and how long was it stored in those bins? How much money did they really make? So Sometimes, and I've done this, I know other people do this as well, when you dabble into that higher market of items, whether it's mid-tier or luxury, sometimes you purchase items knowing that you might only make $20, $30 just for the exposure to get certain customers to come to your closet. That's a strategic business move that you decide to make knowing in the end, you might only make 20 bucks on this. But you need to have the capital to do that. Like there, There's so much that goes into it. Please do not go online and start buying things for hundreds of dollars thinking that you're going to make a lot of money. Please don't do that. No. And honestly, I would, I tell everyone, if you're going to start out, start with things in your own closet and experiment and see what you can, you know, start with the lowest cost of good that you can, and then work your way up. Don't, don't start by buying pallets of wholesale and pallets of this because unless you're real, unless that's a risk that you're really willing to take and lose money, then just start slow and figure out, you know, your customer base and what um, is going to sell well for you and what isn't. Because again, it just, it's so different for everyone and it can be whatever you want it to be really. Mm -hmm. There's no rules. You make the rules of how you want your business to be. You can aspire to aspire to someone's business or maybe get inspiration from someone. Um, You can ask questions, but at the end of the day, it's whatever really is going to work for you and what you need your business to do. Um, I want to talk about the true crime because that's why I fell in love with you. And (laughs) I want to be able to talk about that. So Misty has um, another Instagram page where she, on Mondays, which she hasn't done recently, I'm a little disappointed. (laughs) <laughs> she goes live I've been a little busy. <laughs> she goes live and she talks about certain cases um but what I enjoy and if you guys I know some of you guys that listen are true crime enthusiasts just like me because we've had conversations about it um what I enjoy about Misty's approach to it is she really stays in this zone of not being biased in either direction she really is research-based And she just presents the facts, which I appreciate because I feel like there's so much true crime out there where they lean one way or the other, or they're like just saying things because I saw it posted on TikTok or something. And it's, it's just the most frustrating thing as someone who follows true crime to, it's just very frustrating because you're not getting the real facts in there. So I appreciate that about you. But my question to you is, how did you even get into that? I have loved true crime since before true crime was a fad. Same. I I have loved it. I this is just another little side note about me. I actually I believe I was 22 or 23, so what? I don't know, like a long time ago. At least 14 <laughs> or 15 years ago. Um I 
was hired to be a police officer because I eventually wanted to go into investigations. And in my small town, that's where you had to start. We, at the time we owned, um, we had three restaurants at the time we had three restaurants and this is, I've just always just wanted to do the most. I don't know what I was going to say. (laughs) And, um, so yeah, my husband was like, yeah, go, you know, go pursue your dreams, whatever. (laughs) And so I, you know, was hired and did some training. And at the end of the day, it was just too much for our family. Obviously I, it was something that I really enjoyed and, was trying to figure who Misty was out because again, I started in business so young. Um, But yeah, that's really where it started. I just, I've always loved anything, true crime, anything with invest. I mean, I'll investigate anything and everything. (laughs) If there's, if there's a mouse trying to get into my house, I'm going to investigate why that mouse is trying to get in here and where it came from and everything. Um, and so I just love um, not only the investigation investigation part of it, but like the mind of the people that commit these crimes just is sometimes it's so bad that it, it just intrigues me, which sounds really weird. I know, but that's part of it. And I just, I've always loved true crime. Again, we know it's like this big thing right now, but I started by just sharing um, in my stories, like articles I would find and people would, they would like, you should really talk about this. I would like to know more about it. So then I started going live and then it just kind of one thing turned into another. And then Instagram started shadow banning my, um, my page for reselling because I was talking about these things. So I made a second page to have just in case that page ever to get banned for talking about things because there are things that I talk about that not everyone likes, I guess. And, um, and they're just, they're true things that happen to victims and Mm -hmm. someone needs to talk about it. And I really do try to lean in with an unbiased researched opinion. And I always try to advocate for the victims and make sure that I share information about the victims. I always try not to share. I know a lot of cases share like a side-by-side picture of the victim and their um, perpetrator. And I just always try not to do that because if I were to ever die and be murdered, I never want my picture next to the person who murdered me. Right. So I just always try to, at the forefront, just keep the victims and their families and at the highest regard in what I'm researching and talking about. So the name of the page is Murder Monday with Misty. I don't even know how I stumbled across your page. It like, I don't, it just like popped up. I don't remember how it popped up, but it popped up and I started watching you and I don't remember what case it was that you were doing at the time. I can't recollect which one it was because it's been a while that I've been following you. And um, eventually I started clicking on all the different links that Misty has. And I was like, oh, she's a reseller. I like her even more now. So then (laughs) we started connecting. We started connecting with the Idaho, I think, case. And then that's just kind of evolved since then where I was like, I'm just going to message her. I'm just going to start talking to her and we're going to be friends. And that's how that's going to work. But I really I know we have a nice little we like true crime we like reselling and and it it blends very well together we've talked about other things too but um, I think that the way you approach true crime I think more people maybe people are doing it on TikTok I'm not on TikTok so I don't know but I feel like it kind of started with TikTok with people coming on and just kind of talking about these cases but then TikTok has also mm, spread false information about some of these cases there's a lot of sleuthing that goes on on the internet happens on YouTube too it's not just on TikTok um, but the community for true crime has just grown a lot and there's a lot of people that do it. And I think it's nice when you find someone that kind of sees things in your way and, and wants to cover the things in your way. And you always do focus on the victim, which I think is the most important part when it comes to true crime. That's the whole point of the true crime community is to focus on the victims and and create that justice for them that, that they deserve. Um, yeah. So if you guys like true crime, you guys should go check out Misty. And maybe she'll go live someday soon because I'm just waiting. Monday came and went and she I, wasn't live again. I know. I And so many, I, I try not to get on that page too much because I feel really bad. All the, I'm like, I have all these DMs. Where are you? Are you going live? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> I am going to be back. Hopefully I have a case that I've started. I just really, when I do go live, I like to make sure that the information that I'm sharing is actual and that I have everything right and so that entails a lot of research and as you know I don't have a whole lot of time so (laughs) 
I just need to get a, a bank of like stock up like a bunch of cases yeah. and have them ready to go. Uh, but I just can never find the time to sit down and do that. But I should be back very soon. <laughs> She's putting no date on that. You hear that? There's no date. <laughs> it's when she finds the time I will share in my it. story. <laughs> <laughs> I think the next thing you should do besides the Idaho, um, there's new developments with um, the Peterson case, which I have not dived into yet but there was a new dateline special that came out about Lacey peterson um and there's i guess new evidence that's come out which i haven't looked at yet oh i have not seen that either yeah which i don't know i don't i gotta look at the whole dateline thing i started it but i didn't finish but you know how dateline they can kind of get you in with like these little hook line and sinker things and Mm -hmm. it's really nothing um but i think scott peterson was up for peel or something so there's some there's some happenings in the Lacey peterson case but i digress um, before we close out, I want to ask you a question I like to ask a lot of the resellers that come on here, and it's where do you see your reselling business going in the future, whether it's five years from now, a year from now, do you see yourself in a certain trajectory? Um, what does that look like for you? So for me, um, I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I would like reselling to just stay exactly how it is. I don't want to get any bigger. I don't want it to get any smaller. Um, I'm completely happy with just life in general and where we are and reselling has actually my daughter's in college and it has actually paid this is she's coming up on her last year at college Um, and so it has actually paid for her almost entire college and I would like to be able to do that for this last year and then she goes to grad school which that'll be a whole other thing to look at (laughs) um but yeah I would like to at least be able to you know get her through college and then whatever my son decides he'll be um he graduates high school next year so we'll see I would just like to at least stay where we're at and it has been you know very nice to not have to worry about you know, getting my kids through college. And um, as long as it stays where it's at, I would be perfectly happy. I love that answer. Cause usually the answer is like, I want to grow and but I like staying where I'm at too. Like it's okay to stay where you're at. If it's working for you, you don't have to always grow. Yes. <laughs> well, well and is- in life in general, I have learned that, you know, it's, I have hustled so much since literally yeah. I was 18 that I'm just ready to take life at a, at a slower pace. Yeah. And I think there's something so powerful about being able to do that because very similar situation at the age of 15 and a half, I was already working. So, and I worked two, three jobs my entire life and I still do that. Um, but I do it at a different capacity. And I think there's just so many health benefits when it comes to stopping and realizing like, okay, it's all right for me not to constantly be doing something not to constantly be working. There's there's a lot of research behind all of that. So I'm glad that that's your response. And I hope that you're able to fulfill that the way that you want and that your businesses keep growing in terms of the rental properties because that's good money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am going to leave all of Misty's links, her Instagram page for true crime and Instagram page for reselling in the show notes she has other links on there as well that you can go and check out and jen and i will be back next week bye everyone